0: This episode of the Warriors Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, a sports bar we love. If you listen to this pod, you enjoy watching sports, and you already know that watching games with other fans makes that experience even better. Obviously, catching a game at the house on your own is fine, I've done it for decades, but watching a game in a spot that lets you scream and cheer and just generally lose your shit with other Dubnation fans is way more fun. COVID took that from us for a while, but the ACO has given it back. The Athletic Club Oakland has shut down their entire side street, not just the parking spots in front. Their entire side street created an enormous outdoor space called the Town Gardens and filled that space with tables, more than 15 huge TVs, and their full complement of great service, food, and drinks. It's big It's comfortable. It's a great spot to watch Steph continue to rain threes, the NFL playoffs, or really any other sport with other fans while still staying safe. I love this bar. I love their food. I love their space. I love their TVs. I even love that it's pretty family friendly. I can roll here with friends and get too fired up, or I can go with my wife and kid and simply enjoy a game while also having brunch. The Athletic Club. Is now our go to spot to watch all sports, especially the Warriors. And we hope you'll join us there. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans can be sports fans again.
1: We're going to bring you on to our huddle.
0: You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Graham. No Marcus today, kind of an emergency podcast, but joining me, per usual, our master of all things sound Maxine.
2: How's it going?
0: Same. I'm fired up to announce that rejoining us after a brief hiatus, the former Golden State beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, a current West Coast specialist for NBA.com, and a man who specializes in impressing Steph Curry and Draymond Green with clothes from Express, Mr. Mark Funky Comadina. What's going on, Mark? Bram,
3: I am doing well. Always good when I'm hearing your voice, talking warrior soup with you. Um, i'm in san francisco after seeing that huge uh, performance from koi thompson still in the marriott and i think you know you can see my background beautiful wallpaper uh that marriott uh has to offer and i just got to be emphatically clear the paint splotches that you're seeing, it's yeah. like an artistic look that Marriott thinks.
0: Sure it into. is, it Mark. Nothing so to do
3: with any sort of vandalism.
0: There's a lot of things I don't fucking believe. Belief number one, I don't believe you're an SF anymore. Where I think it's happening is you're standing literally in front of LeBron Murrow that you've recently defaced. I mean, Nick, that that scenario, it's either that or you're taking a Warshak test. I, I'm not sure which one it is, but it's not you and a Marriott. That's something that we can immediately, immediately agree on.
3: Oh, man. No, this is this is all about like the weird artistic vision that uh, Marriott San Francisco properties have. So (laughs) we are
0: (laughs) because Marriotts are synonymous with artistic vision. Now, that that makes sense. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Maxime, weigh in on something here. So we're a little bit late, but I need your take. Last time we heard Mark's distinctive tone, we were talking about Steph Curry, but we got some great stories. And I just mentioned it in the intro. One of the things Mark shared was at a practice, Steph and Draymond gave him some shit about uh, his general appearance, let's say. And then just by happenstance, he happened to buy some clothes in between him getting shit at Express, then came back to the practice and I don't know, he says he didn't show off the new clothes, however you want to interpret it. But it leads to this question. If that was you, right, you're covering the Warriors, Steph and Dray, heartbeat of the team, give you some shit about the clothes, would you go out and buy new stuff? You know, like, like that day or someday in between seeing them, how would you handle
2: so so here's the thing, right? The, the the key descriptor is that I'm covering the team because if I'm just me and I'm seeing them once and they're giving me shit about my clothes, the best case scenario for me is to change outfits so that they pay attention to me one more time. Right. When you come back in. Yeah. But if I'm covering the team, I'm probably never changing that outfit ever again, right? I'm not, not only not getting new clothes, but I'm just committing to that. This is who I am. You're going to have to see me every day and you're going to love it eventually.
0: This will be a shock, man. The other side for me is if some if they gave me any kind of crap about my clothes and I thought that I could impress them, I'd buy a new fucking car if I thought that it resonated. <laughs> i just drive it around the practice. Oh, whoa, weird. This? This you said? Yeah, they just happened to cover this at Express. So it was what it was. Any way that I could further the relationship. The, the second that they started playing with me, you know, like, oh, no, we're kind of friends. And I would just be all the way in, a bunch of rhetorical questions. What do you think about this shirt? I'd say, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. I needed to do it. Of course, Mark, that's not what you do. I mean, we we, we understand it was just a random purchase at Express. No, here, here's the thing. I did both things,
3: right? Like I was trying to articulate the point that I was going to buy those new shoes regardless because of the convenience, the, of the hotel, but because I had them, I made it a point that I wanted to make sure Draymond saw. Them. But I also like super owned into and leaned into my stubbornness of hey, Just because Draymond says my other shoes suck doesn't mean I'm going to think they suck. So I continue to wear them. And when he pointed it out, I would just be like, I think they're good.
0: (laughs) I would have come in there with my new shoes and a garbage can filled with my old one and then just burned them in front of him. Like, oh, you guys were so right. Let's stop bearing the lead, gentlemen. We have one hell of a Clay Thompson uh, return to celebrate. And I wanna jump into our off the court report, right? So a quick background, I'm sure you already know it. For those of you who listen to this show, you like the Warriors enough to follow every game. You know what the hell happens between the lines. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit today for Clay's return. But when we have guests like Mark who have unbelievable access and see what these guys do off the floor, outside of the lines, we ask them questions about that experience. Um, and so, Mark, I know you were at the game last night. Um, I've got some specific questions, but I'll just give you a general one, man. Anything stick out to you? I mean, how was the experience, anything from off the floor or even on it uh, before we get specific?
3: Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was amazing. And uh, there's a lot of cool moments that I could pluck away from the game and the atmosphere. But far uh, as like how it fits into this category off the court that you want to see from the casual fan the pregame warmups um Steph Curry and Klay Thompson historically never uh had their warmups like in succession or together but Steph uh made it a point that he wanted to be on the court when Klay Thompson would be there because he wanted to soak in the moment and just just ha- further lean into the feeling of hey the best pack court in NBA history is reunited and with that Steph Curry like all of a sudden became an afterthought like when he was on the floor all the warrior fans that were there to be ready for when clay thompson's taking the court they're all of a sudden just kind of like whatever that steps on the floor and that he's like launching shots and being goofy and hitting three-pointers like there was zero reaction to Steph curry doing his thing which is like never happened before and um i just thought that was amazing and and you know that juxtaposed when clay comes out all of a sudden it's like playoff atmosphere vibes it's Game six, 2019 NBA Finals, him coming out of the entrance tunnel to hit the free throws after, you know, injuring the ACL on his left knee. But like it was that kind of atmosphere. But just juxtaposing the fact that, like, all of a sudden, Steph Curry is getting the crickets treatment it was unbelievable.
0: <laughs> there there was moments watching last night where it reminded me of, like, an early 2000s Warriors game. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, the, the playoff intensity didn't happen there. You know, the amount of fans didn't happen there. But it used to be people would go to fan <laughs> player-specific concerts, right? There was There was the, like the base of Warrior fans who were always there. And then there are people who came to watch Kobe or people who came to watch Shaq or people who came to watch specific guys. Last night had that feel. Everybody wanted to see a specific guy. So every didn't matter. He took 18 fucking shots in 17 minutes, you know, which if for anybody else is, is preposterous. It's exactly what we wanted. It, it's exactly what we wanted out of it.
2: Need a good podcast recommendation? Well, the Players' Tribune has launched its first-ever mental health podcast called Blindsided. It's hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh. The podcast lets listeners hear athletes describe the life-changing moments when mental health became the most important focus in their lives. They dive deep, get clinical, and allow listeners to get a better understanding of the different mental health challenges people face why they appear, and how athletes specifically like Kevin Love, Paul Bissonnette, and Kurt Warner learned to take them head on. Blindsided is a sports podcast, not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who don't. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Um, Here's one of the follow-ups, and it capitalizes on you. So, you know, I got a sense of the environment I didn't get to talk to Clay afterwards. I know that you did, man. What did this mean to him? What did he express after the game?
3: Look, he, he wasn't speaking hyperbole here. He's just speaking from the heart. He said that the feeling that he had was pretty freaking close to the elation that he had when he won three NBA championships with the Warriors. And I mean, the feeling of being on cloud nine with that, speaks for itself. Like the guy wants to win titles and it feels pretty effing good when it has it. And as far as like, what perspective I can give for that, um, you know, I covered one of the title runs, uh, you know, the last one they had uh, against Cleveland. And I was also on uh, the championship bus that he was on with Zaza Pachulia oh. a few well, days you know later I mean <laughs> when he just, he just got hammered. Like he was just <laughs> loving the fact that he's just like, drinking alcohol enjoying all the the elation on the bus every street that he's going on and you know i could see firsthand just like that feeling of intoxication literally and figuratively so for him to compare that that it's somewhat close to that really you know explains why this meant so much to him and some of it might be obvious he hasn't hadn't played an nba game in 941 days that's a long time and the emotion that comes with it with the frustration with the long rehab, being out of the league for two and a half years, not knowing what he's going to look like, and then hearing all the fan adulation during pregame warm-ups, starting lineup intros, the video tributes, being on the court with teammates that mean a lot to him, with Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and then you know having the performance that he had where he's throwing down a dunk, having a floater the first uh, play of the game, showing signs that look like... He's rusty, but Clay is going to be Clay. Right. Um, it, it was really cool, and it was cool to just see the joy on his face and you know the joy in the tone of his voice that, that really made this special.
0: Any truth to the rumor that the top three moments in his career—what championship experience, return last night, and then the clothes that you wear to practice—I I heard that somewhere. Do You know <laughs> that's true or no? You,
3: you know what? Clay, Clay was out for the last two and a half years, so uh, he did not give perspective on didn't my work group. Yeah, he, no, that makes sense. It, now it he was—he was healthy. He was healthy when Draymond and stuff were giving their biting commentary about my uh my fashion taste but you know what for for better and for worse Klay is often in his own world around the team so he he wasn't part of that conversation no truth to it I mean
0: I had to at least had to ask I don't remember where I picked that up but I, I wanted to run a buy. I actually have a random off the court for you guys. So I lucked into being able to attend a Warriors practice right beforehand. And they had both Steve Kerr and then Juan Toscano Anderson, or Juan Toscano Anderson afterwards. And the JTA interview really stuck out to me. Here's why. JTA has never played with Clay. Um, he, he sure as hell resonates with him, but through these, as we've watched JTA come up, as Mark just described, that's when Clay has been out. And yet and still, you could tell what this player means to Toscano Anderson. Um, he said a bunch. Well, first, let me say, he, I've, I haven't had the pleasure of sitting through a practice with JTA. He is articulate. He is intelligent. He is in touch with his feelings. I was, I was really impressed with the answers he gave. And some of them described who the hell Clay Thompson is to him. Uh, JTA said that when he played at Washington State in college, he asked the university permission to go and sit at uh, at Clay's locker. He literally just went in there and sat at it because of what Thompson meant to him. Uh, JTA said that if they are still friends and underlined if enough where you could tell he's kind of worried, you know, like he wants to, like he wants to build like a lifetime relationship with him. If he's still friends, he wants Clay to be the guy to teach his sons how to shoot, which was not a throwaway. It wasn't hyperbole. It meant something to him. And he also um, was asked a really articulate question and gave this response about what he meant to the Warriors off the floor. You just maybe two, three minutes ago, described how Clay's presence on the floor was going to help the team. Take us to the other side. What will his presence off the floor do for the Warriors? How do you think it will help you guys out?
1: Uh, He's a competitor, um, and he's a champion, and he knows what it takes. So, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, when he talks, you kind of you shut up and listen. Kind of, you know, you listen to those guys. They're leaders. They're vets. They're very well, very experienced on every level. Um. And like I said, it's not every day you get to be surrounded by greatness. I mean, who scores 37 points in a quarter? Who scores, what was it, 62 points on 11 dribbles? That's unheard of. Uh, and that's not easy to do regardless of what level, whether it's CYO, JV, um, D2, D3 overseas in Mexico or in the NBA. It's not easy to do anywhere. And so I um, I just admire things like that. Like I, I'm a huge fan and student of the game. And so... Uh None of that happened by accident He's put in a lot of work And you know, watched a lot of film And learned how to do those things And so uh, that's somebody I'd like to learn from as well Maxime, how obvious is it That I brought that
0: up just to play my question I mean like out of like a scale of 1 to 10 Because I feel like I handled it pretty well Like is it is it insanely obvious or no?
2: Uh Yeah, it's pretty obvious You
0: bastard, you bastard. Since you were <laughs> honest I'm going to be honest with you so I saw Mark was on those on those that practice feed as well it's a Zoom call right so you can see the names on it and, and Mark obviously asked some questions and so it, it comes to the point where I'm getting ready to. And one of the things I wanted to do is kind of casually impress Mark. Like, oh, I'm really used to this. This isn't too big of a stage. So I go all the way through it. It gets right there. It's almost Zoom time. And right before it's my turn, Mark fucking leaves the meeting, dude. He wasn't He wasn't even there. He didn't get to hear my question at all. You know, like apparently he wasn't interested in the huddle question. So Mark, I'm, I'm a little upset, dude. I thought for sure we were going to come into this. And you'd be like, oh, great job. But you didn't get that opportunity because you didn't watch me perform
3: wait which which meeting are you talking about that i left early
0: the it was on what sunday's press conference um you went through steve kerr's and most of jtas but you didn't actually get to my question i felt like you i did i was i
3: was i was i got kicked out of the meeting because i think it ended i was there (laughs) for all gta i was there when you were getting teed up to ask the question but then all of a sudden i forget what happened there was like a mute malfunction from like the other person that was called mm-hmm, upon, mm-hmm. they weren't answering and then you were about to go. Oh yeah. And then all of a sudden their audio issues got corrected. So like, they like bumped you away. I <laughs> yeah, was there okay. for all of it, okay, I there. heard the question. It was amazing. <laughs> all
0: right, well then shockingly, I just showed you my in, like intense need for immediate feedback i just wanted you to text me and did like and the fact that oh. you didn't text me apparently hurt me so there you go dude that's that's all well, you, so you,
3: you know what i think that you should take the fact that i didn't text you like good question it's like another sign of validation like hey you're a vet you know like how to yeah. do this like you don't need that oh great question that's usually for the newcomers but well, that's, that's so totally it, it's true. kind of established okay if you're, you're asking the a question it's going to be good
0: You're the man, and I take away all of the LeBron stuff we did in the first five minutes. I mean, 100%, and I believe that you bought those shoes just for you. I Just really, that entire thing. Gentlemen, let's move to our five golden questions. And before we do, a little tribute to Clay. I'm going to surprise you here, Mark. Both of us are ready to switch over, get right into Clay mode here. Oh, Oh, yeah. Headbands, dude. We're going headbands for the remainder of the episode, which tees up our first and maybe most important question. Who looks better in the headband? Is it Maxime or me? Because I feel like, I I mean, it's looking, it kind of deals with my hair. It's going pretty well for me. So what do you think?
3: You know what, Bram? I don't mean to let this get to your head, but I think you're rocking the look better because it kind of reminds me more of Clay because Clay, he hasn't gotten a haircut in a little bit. That partly explains why he's wearing the headband to begin with. So.
0: Edge to Brown. I'll take it. Let's get to our a uh, real question. Gentlemen, grade Clay's performance. And what I want to do, Mark, is I'm going to put you up on a pedestal, right? Um, you are attending this from an objective setting. You, you know a lot about the Warriors, but you certainly don't call yourself a fan. Maxime and I are probably a little more subjective. So let's get to you last. Maxime, start us off, man. How would you grade the performance?
2: I, could we Is there anything above an A-plus? I mean, my goodness, we had all the hits – I did not, I, I came in, look, we, talk, we talked about this with the Patreon crew beforehand, so long as he gets on the court, runs up and down a couple of times, I'm going to be so ecstatic, I don't need anything else. I knew he was going to be on a minutes restriction, but the fact that he went for 17 points, the fact that he threw down a poster dunk, um, made his first shot, and then sank an unbelievable, just like a beautiful in-transition three, like, it's the ideal offensive game.
0: Um, I completely, so I'll, I'll, punt defensively, I don't think we got to see enough of him. And that was purposeful. Wiggins seemed to be the lead defensive perimeter player. He was on, uh, Garland most of the night, but from what we wanted to see offensively, bottom line is I just wanted to see number 11 on the floor. You know, he, he checked off the things I thought that needed to be accomplished the second he was introduced. Everything else was just bonus, and holy shit, there are a lot of bonuses. You know, A-plus, um, his aggression, his health looked pretty solid. I mean, he looked like Clay Thompson. In fact, he looked like a motivated Clay Thompson. I've watched every single moment of this gentleman's career. You know what I don't remember? Emphatic dunks at any point, at any stage, and we saw exactly that. So early, you know, what, we're 17 minutes into a returned career. 17 minutes in, A-plus for me. Mark, how hyperbolic are we being?
3: No, I don't think it's hyperbolic at all. Look, like, when I'm looking at my grades, if I want to be all literal and assess Clay Thompson uh, compared to what he did earlier in his career, pre-injuries, yeah, it'd be like a B-minus. Like, Clay usually shoots better than that. Uh, There's a few shots that, like, fell really short. Uh, he got blown by on defense a few times, looked rusty, but look, it has to be on a sliding scale because this is his first game back in 941 days. And I think the encouraging thing is he didn't get high marks just for getting a participation trophy. Like th- he was always going to check the boxes with that because you knew you were going to get a warm fan reception in pregame warmups and starting lineup intros during the video tributes, any like moment that he would have on the court with teammates, but he offered more than that. Like the fact that the first play of the game was him driving the basket. I was like WTF. That's cool. Uh, the fact that he threw down for a dunk, that wasn't all my bingo card. He had some cool blocks and some really, uh, promising signs that he's going to get after it defensively. And so I think this is all about, you know, getting your feet wet. And he also provided some comforting signs that, some of the weaknesses that he showed, it's going to be eradicated pretty quickly. Like, he's going to knock off the rust these next few weeks. His shot's going to be in peak form. Defense will probably take longer. But worst-case scenario, he's still going to be a solid defender. He's still going to be a great team defender. He's going to show a lot of effort. Maybe it be a process before he's locking guys up uh, against, you know, the opponent's top players. But he has it in him to do that when the moment counts. Later on the season, particularly come playoff time. So with that, it's an A plus across the board.
0: He brought that raw, unadulterated emotion to, and, and it's not the first time we've seen it this year, right? Last time we talked about it is the the much uh, discussed story of when he's on the sideline and emotions got the better of him, and he puts the towel over his head and he's crying during the well, uh, presumptively crying during his attempt to come back. Last night we saw the other side to that man. You know, with that snarl, you know, he—it literally is just pumping out of him. Um, I've had random moments in my life where I was genuinely proud, few and far between, but they've happened. You know, I I can remember getting a good grade in a paper and driving home and literally pumping my fist and, and startling into my own mirror. Those moments when we saw clay coming back down the floor, that was so genuine. It was so clay. It was so encouraging. It was just, it was a lot of fun to have back in my life. Right. Uh, Go ahead, Mark.
3: Well, I was gonna say, and the other thing that like captures all the symbolism here is that they play the Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> you know, their main finals foe, Kevin Love. They were good childhood friends. And there was a fork in the road earlier in Clay's career when the Warriors were like, Hey, like, should we trade Clay Thompson to get Kevin Love? Uh hat tip to Sam Amick from the athletic from you know, really going in depth with this and what this meant. But you know, I noticed the sy- symbolism there that you know, there has been just this two-way street of loyalty and appreciation for each other, where the Warriors knew very early on, look, we have a very special player that we don't want to take for granted, and Clay Thompson felt the same way. There's so many times where there could have been a, a, a fork in the road where, you know, he's getting upset of, oh, I want a bigger role, I want to get a lion, more lion share of shots. Oh, I want to, Test the free agency waters, right? And none of that happened. It was all about, you know what? I love the Warriors. I know what I have. Let's stick to it. And here's the other thing: like, this wasn't part of a commentary, nor should it be. Like, but in normal, like professional sports times, think of an established player that like gets this max contract deal, but he misses out on the first two years of it.
0: Right. Like
3: that player. A lot of times would be susceptible to criticism of oh that's wasted you know money and oh he's on the books like there was none of that the warriors didn't blink at all about giving him that max deal right. you know which happened weeks after he injured his acl like there was no discussion on that and that also hit a long way toward clay too like it was stressed to me that he appreciated it for obvious reasons but at the end of the day The thing that really brought this home is, you know, he had made the comment to people around the team, you know what, like, I don't even care about the money. I just wanna play basketball. And so I thought that the symbolism of the Cavs and Kevin Love really helped illustrate and bolster what we already know about this mutual affection and loyalty that the Bay and Clay have for each other.
0: I was gonna ask you about the Kevin Love connection. Is it just AAU in LA or something? What what? What established that friendship? Because we saw them at least twice exchange hugs, including immediately after the game, and I wasn't sure where that connection came from.
3: Yeah, well, you know, they both uh, were in the Oregon Portland area as kids, oh, so that's know. that's oh, that where one. the AAU connection yeah. was. And then, yeah, I mean, sure, LA later on in their adult life, but uh, I think that the stronger connection was more their childhood.
0: Makes sense. Um, And the sacrifice that you referenced for Clay, we had a moment last year where Kelly Oubre, the Warrior fans were still enamored with him. And one of the questions was, well, would he consider coming off the bench? And Oubre made it crystal clear. He would not. And Clay came out of left field and was really upset by it. And one of the things that we heard over and over again was, well, Clay watched Andre take a step back. And I think that's who Clay referenced. And so Kelly should too. But the thing that hasn't really been discussed is it wasn't just Andre who made fucking sacrifices you know Katie joins the Warriors and we talk about Steph's sacrifice well it wasn't just Steph Clay took this enormous back seat you know they brought in one of the most efficient greatest offensive talents of all time Clay was a thousand percent fine with it you know and then now he has to hear people like Kelly Oubre say no I won't make a sacrifice of course it pissed him off of course it did but let's get to our second question Maxime start us off Most important game in Chase Center history? Last night.
2: Oh, without a doubt. Oh, yeah. No, of course. And I mean, you could tell by the way the crowd was reacting, you know, in the same way that when you get to the playoffs, the energy increases in a building. Um, That's because the fans are aware that it's an important game relative to the regular season. I mean, you just need to look at the decibel volume in the building to know that this was the most important game in Chase Center
0: kind of an unfair question. It's like asking if a specific day was the most important day in my three-year-old's life. You know I mean? Like, they haven't been around for that long, but I think you're 100% right. Um, So instead of answering that one, Mark, answer this one for us. How did Chase Center do? Grade them, all right? Because this is one of their first things, their first tests to kind of, to show everybody, no, all that passion from Oracle made its way across the Bay Bridge. Did it? What do you think?
3: Yeah, I thought Oracle Arena relocated to san francisco last night and look uh, I, I don't mean to be a smart ass but i think by default this is the most important game at chase center because there was really nothing to compare it to like they spent the first season like losing a lot of games or the lottery and steph curry was only playing in five of them Klay wasn't in any of them um and then the second season like most of the season there weren't any fans in the building yeah. uh and when there were they were just scratching clawing to try to make their way to a playing tournament Um, But I think even in normal times, like say, Chase Center didn't coincide with the Warriors' like bad stretch these last two years, it would be the top moment. And I think you know when you're comparing just what made Oracle Arena so special with not only just the dynasty years, but even the fan support and the atmosphere during the bad times with the Warriors, like they they brought that atmosphere and Chase Center. I felt like felt like Oracle arena last night. Um, so yeah, step, step in the right direction and you know what, maybe a preview for things to come during this playoff push.
0: I'm going to critique them. You tell me if I'm off base. All right. So when in seats, when, um, when he was announced for the starting lineup, when he hit his first shot, all of that is exactly what I wanted. Uh, you know, 10 out of 10, but when he first came out, when the, when the team literally first hit the floor, at least the sweet level seemed to be, I don't know, 30% full, right? And then third quarter, it took a long time for people to come back out there. This isn't a new critique, but I should have fucking been in the seats, man. There, um, there haven't been a lot of games where the most important moment comes before the tip. One of the last ones I can think of, and it's a random one, is when the Warriors played the Clippers, right when the Donald Sterling shit happened in the playoffs and how the Clippers were going to react before the tip was national news. I went to that game. That was at Oracle. People were there 30 minutes early and you know where they were in their seats. No one was walking around. They were in the seats because that's why we were there. The reason for last night, nobody gave a shit about a regular season matchup against the Cavs. That's not what this thing was about. We were there to watch clay take the floor that started. I thought, before the tip, before the start, you know, before the opening lineups were announced. And this Chase Center crowd knew to cheer when they were there, but they didn't know to be there when he first took the goddamn floor. So critique from me, you know, A-plus wall in seats, but they needed to be in seats a little bit earlier. Am I being ridiculous? No, I think it's on
3: point. And look, uh, this would never happen, but this is just wishful thinking. I think that that Joe Lacob should establish this rule that if you're getting these courtside seats and you know, you're one of the the tech investors and you wanna spend, um, you know, half time, you know, in the suites and networking, there is a rule that if you don't get back by the time the third quarter hits, People in the upper deck that are entitled to your seat,
0: I and love that story. could
3: create that could create a little incentive yeah. uh, to get back to your seat earlier.
0: Mark, there's a better chance that they install holograms of the people who should be sitting there than allowing Club 200 to move downstairs. But I'm on board for it, dude. We can call it the Huddle Rule. I mean, that sounds fantastic to me.
3: Yes, and maybe you know this would create you know almost this way where maybe the you know the tech crowd they're just so above it all that like they don't care about giving up their seat. But then that creates excitement for the diehards in the upper deck. Hey, I have Just a chance. i yeah.
0: moving down. <laughs> I'm moving my seats upstairs if that's what ultimately goes down. Maxime, uh, take us to the next question here. Most important, most impactful regular season dunk in Warriors uh, regular season history?
2: I mean, again, just in terms of decibel volume, we'll take it back for the measurement system. But in this case, it's just me in my living room by myself screaming. I I was so shocked. I had I was like the first time I've gotten out of my seat and like did a lap around the house from just sitting at home before like, I don't know, the NBA finals. Uh, Yeah. So regular season dunk, 100%.
0: I rewatched it so many times. Ultimately, my wife was like, are we going to watch the rest of the game? Like are they are they still playing or, or what exactly is going down? Um, I agree. I went so far as to say, and I took to Twitter with this most uh, impactful dunk in in Warriors history, and I didn't limit it to regular season. And then about a thousand people shoved the Baron Davis dunk up my ass. So okay, maybe I was wrong on that. You know, the the Andre Kirilenko embarrassment does in fact rank higher. Last question, most important one. I'm going to put it right to you, Mr. Medina. After last night, after what we saw from Clay, in your mind, are the Warriors the current title favorites in the NBA?
3: You know, it's a good question. Um, I'm always back and forth on it. Uh, I actually talked with an opposing team GM the other day about the Warriors, and they think the Suns still have the edge Hmm. because they're coming back from the finals, number one.
1: Was it the Suns' GM?
3: No, it was a different team. (laughs) and they had the same core and then the other part is you know they added more center reinforcements i mean it's it's amazing that like javel mcgee is this game changer but uh you know the warriors had him partly for that reason so i think there is a a wonderment around the league that what do the warriors do with the center spot like james wiseman is going to come back at some point but that might create more complications than solutions given his up and down rookie season And as much as the Warriors have won playing small with Draymond at center, uh, you know, it's always been kind of a break in case of emergency because you just don't want to exhaust that for an entire game.
0: Sure.
3: Um, But I think that the Warriors have the edge because they've been looking really up and good even before Clay has been back. And now that he's back, like, it's only going up from here. Like, you are – as exciting as it was just for warrior fans to see clay thompson's first game that's his worst game that's going to be for this season yeah. like it is going to get continuously better as you know he knocks the rust off gets you know the timing and chemistry with not just familiar teammates with Stephen draymond and andre but teammates that he's never played with before because a lot of them weren't part of the warriors dynasty run um So I I have to think there's a lot of upside. And, you know, collectively, I don't know where the ratio is. Like, you have a lot of playoff experience from the Warriors, like, familiar core. But there's a lot of playoff inexperience from some of the young guys that the Suns have. But I think at the end of the day, when you put Steph, Draymond, Andre, and Clay of being there, done that, they can make up for the young guys and them not being part of it where with the sons, their, their reference point is just one finals appearance. And that's it.
0: Hear that opposing GM F you perfect <laughs> place Dan and Mark. I really appreciate you, man. I love these was looking forward to this. Um, and you know, not to my surprise, I lived up to my expectations for more people who need more funky Comedina in their life. Where do they turn, man?
3: NBA.com, social media, Twitter, Mark G underscore Medina, Instagram Medina Syracuse. And look, I know that we're tight on time, but because you're wearing the headband, because it's Clay Thompson, because you love off the court reports, I I just got to share it. I did a story before Clay's return, you know, just trying to talk to different people around the team about his long road back. And, you know, some of it evolved, uh, you know, frustrating moments, but some of it provided – you know the levity and unintentional comedy that clay provides and i just loved what bob myers the warriors gm shared last week you know clay thompson just finished a practice got done his workout and bob's trying to talk to him about like kind of final preparation things and different logistics things <laughs> and he's talking to him and clay is uh sees him in his office wearing the captain sailor set and bob just like stops himself he's like clay like i can't take you seriously while you're wearing that hat (laughs) And, and clay just starts laughing like yeah i know like i'm about to get back on my boat and so with that i thought what was so amusing the warriors gm like there's so many things to talk about and from a gm perspective like you know of all the things that's on your mind about clay's return like workload what's he going to look like how you phase him in bob myers is saying you know what like one of the most intriguing questions i have is like is he going to continue to wear that headband like is that <laughs> is that just like a practicing or is he actually going to do it like is he lean into it like it kind of looks goofy but like it's clay and i reminded him as well as warriors assistant coach mike brown who's been like needling clay about like how goofy he looks and He looks like an ABA player like look he he set a record for most NBA threes wearing a headband he got (laughs) he got 14 against Chicago so like the formula could work and then after they're reminded of that he's like yeah like I want Clay to wear the headband. I'm curious to see what happens.
0: <laughs> what I love about that story is Clay's response. He's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm about to get back on my boat as if there's some <laughs> nautical rule that says if you're operating a vessel, you have to be wearing a fucking captain's hat. Like the Bay is filled with fools just operating boats without captain hats. And he decided like, no, if you're going to be behind any kind of a captain's wheel, you had better have the fucking captain's hat on, which is so Clay and so awesome. Also in related news, next time we do a Clay episode, we're wearing captain hats. It's, I mean, Wow. it's an absolute necessity we'll send you one mark so that you uh so that you have it in pocket uh for us you know where to find us you want to shoot us any suggested questions let us know we did a bad job good job you like our headbands shoot that to our new email account which maxime is at huddle
2: at WarriorsHuddle.com.
0: boom our social media presence is limited to twitter at warriors huddle and finally last but not least If you wanna check out this video and maybe more importantly support us for as little as a dollar a month, Hop up on Patreon, Um, and if you search out Warriors Huddle, you can really help us out, and you'll get a copy of this video. You can see uh, Mark's uh, mural defacing habits or our own headbands here. Uh, And if you get up to the executive producer level, we will include you in every podcast. Right now, that includes Steve, Rob, Noah, Jeff, Cheryl, and Amy. Thank you so much. We appreciate you guys. Go Warriors. Hopefully, we'll see you next week.
2: Easier said.
3: Done.